Hey everybody, and welcome back to another half episode of Random Chadwicks. I am Arlo Rodriguez, and this is our first official minisode of the new year. And today we're going to be talking about the best of 2017. Now, 2017 as a year in general was pretty shitty, but in terms of media, it was excellent. Full disclaimer though, I suck, so no music, no books, no TV shows on this list. I mostly watched and played, um, <laughs> watched movies and played a lot of video games. So those are the things we'll be talking about on this list. Also, full disclaimer, I tried to leave it as things that specifically debuted in 2017, so the new seasons of a new show doesn't count in on my list. But again, though, even though it's the best of, uh, I like to emphasize it's my personal list of what I thought was the best of 2017. Your list will absolutely be different from mine. I even tried to have some interesting choices here and there to kind of keep things a little interesting. All right, so before we do that, let's go on to the honorable mentions, um, ones I would have intended to include, but again, because of the conditions that we set, it wouldn't feel right to include them. Or movies or video games that I felt like didn't quite reach the top 10 levels of quality. Honorable mentions, Bojack Horseman Season 4, Rick and Morty Season 3, Mother, with an exclamation point, Curb Season 9, Blade Runner 2049, Spider-Man Homecoming, Picross S, War for the Planet of the Apes, Splatoon 2, and Icarus. And now, here are the dishonorable mentions. By that I mean to myself that I never got a chance to watch these movies. So that's why they're not on the list. So there's that mystery. Uh, and I really fucking kick myself over some of these. I really wish I got to see them, but I only have so much money to deal with, so... These are the dishonorable mentions. Logan, Thor Ragnarok, The Disaster Artist, The Shape of Water, Lady Bird, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Persona 5, and Thimbleweed Park. Alright, we got all that out of the way. Let's move on to the top 10 pop culture things of 2017. Number 10 is Blaster Master Zero. Now, this is a game that has been fluctuating. It was like on the honorable mentions, and then I put it on the top 10. Um, it's a throwback game by Inti Creates. They developed uh, Mega Man 9 and Mega Man 10, and it's a new Blaster Master. Well, in a way, it's like a remake of the original Blaster Master on NES, and it's absolutely wonderful. It's a Metroidvania-style game where you're piloting this ship called Sophia 3, but you can also go out of the ship, and then you can um, you can do some levels on foot. And the gameplay style actually changes. In Sophia, it's a bit more like the typical kind of like run and jump kind of thing. Although you're in a tank, so it's more like roll and jump. And then when you're on foot, and you're getting to these caves, the gameplay style changes a little bit into like an isometric kind. Maybe not like quite like that, but your movement patterns change, and the types of weapons you use, they change. And I... I, this is one of the first games I got for the Switch. I think it was Zelda, which we'll talk about later. Um, and I think Mario Kart and Shovel Knight. Ooh. Let me re-edit my thought as I'm recording this and say Shovel Knight Spectre of Torment on the honorable mentions. Although, that's more of a dishonorable mention to me because, god I completely forgot I played that game. So, sorry. Shovel Knight absolutely gets an honorable mention. But anyway, Blaster Master Zero. I've just played so much of this game, and the DLC packs that came out, which was really cool that they decided to, like, for, like, two weeks, it would be free. 
So I have um, Shantae, I have Ekoro from Galgun, and Shovel Knight. <laughs> those DLC packs made it even more fun to play the game and even kind of change your own strategies because each of those players play differently. So then you kind of have to have a different approach to beating bosses than you did originally. And it was just so much fun. I sunk in like 40 hours into Blastmaster Zero. I would be remiss if I if I didn't include it on the list of the best of 2017. Number nine, Dunkirk. Nolan's latest film and maybe one of his most intense films. And one of the most intense experiences I've had in a movie theater in a very, very long time. It's relentless. It's about, oh boy, I might not have the plot right because I didn't, that's already in this. But it's about the transportation of soldiers from, I don't remember exactly where, but to the island or the area of Dunkirk. Apologies. I don't remember the historical parts of it, the things that really matter, you know. And it's just, from beginning to end, there's not, unlike in other movies, even like for War for the Planet of the Apes, there's moments where you can kind of breathe a little bit. There's a comedic moment where you can just kind of sit and settle. Dunkirk is relentless with its intensity, especially with the soundtrack, which is kind of like a ticking clock. I mean, quite literally a ticking clock as they're trying to, you know, get get to Dunkirk safely. Um, the performances are excellent. There's a lot of really tense moments when people are in the hull of a, of a submarine or a ship, and they're kind of nervously hiding there, and they're like, there's like some sort of dissonance between some of the characters. There's there's um, aerial scenes. I think it was Tom Hardy actually. Um, aerial scenes with this dog fighting, but there's no. Well, I think mean, there's the visual flair to it, but there's no. It's not like in Star Wars, like where there's the act, like the aerial battles going on. It's meant to look like thrilling. It's supposed to just be really intense, and there's there's like the no guarantees that the bombers will even make it back, um, and land safely. It's just, it, it, it was, I, 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 like I kept noticing like how much my chest was tightening because of how intense everything was, and it was just like that from beginning to end. And uh, I, I can't I can't say I've seen any movie that had that amount of tension and drama to it, at least in the way of in the way it approached it. But it was also like one of the most beautiful films uh, I've seen, and I expect that from Nolan. But it's like stellar, just you know, reliably excellent work from a reliably great director. So props to Nolan; he hit it out of the park. I can't wait to see what he does next. Number eight is Golf Story, and full disclaimer, I have not finished the game, but I put 20 hours into it. If you are a fan of the RPG element of Mario Golf on the, either the Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance, Golf Story is pretty much an entire story with brand new characters that is pretty much structured just like that. Every single thing that you can do in the game is golf related, but it's incredibly dense with the type of golf mechanics that you can do in the game. Like, you can change, like, how the ball will curve. You can change the different types of well, clubs. I mean, that goes without saying. But, like, there's a lot of elements to gameplay. That makes it really interesting to change, like, how do you approach a certain golf course. There's different courses that have different elements, um, environmental elements about it. And there's even, like, some hazards slash sort of not hazards that can kind of even help you, like, push the ball forward beyond where you could have originally. But it's stuff that you wouldn't know unless you play the courses frequently enough. And it's also not a compelling story, but a really fun story that reminds me a lot of Earthbound in terms of the type of humor, the dry kind of humor. I think it's made by Australian developers, so there's some Australian references here and there. Or maybe just in terms of the dialogue intonation, not 100% sure. But it's just a lot of fun. It's It, it, it took me, I was addicted to the game uh, for about a, 
I mean, I almost three weeks, and then other games just came up, and I really, really intend to finish it. But Golf Story, especially for the price too, twenty dollars, absolutely worth the time. A lot of fun. Even if you don't like golf, there's a bit of an arcadey sense to it, and there's enough of the challenges throughout the story that you feel like you actually do become a better golfer, and then even teaches a little advanced techniques beyond that. So even if you don't like like more official or you know. I don't know how to say this. Like professional golf games, this game will make you understand how fun golf can really be. Number seven is Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, I've never seen a movie that kind of looks back into the past and says, no, we're done with all that. We're going to burn it all to the ground, quite literally. I'm not going to say how. Uh, but kind of reinterprets the Star Wars mythos in a deconstructionist kind of way. It actually reminds me of Madoka Magica a lot in that kind of way. Of like giving like the established tropes that you kind of think about, but then you kind of as the story goes on, it's like, wait, why did things happen this way? If you know, if really think about it, it's kind of fucked up, really. Um, of course, all your characters come back. The new character Rose is really great. The very interesting character arcs are really satisfying, um, and not what you expect. I think there might be too many moments. Seemingly, I've only seen the movie once. I've meant to see it twice, a second time. There might be a couple moments where it feels like there's some, there's a moment that's a bit too telegraphed, and the comedy feels very marvelly to me. And that I mean, like the Disney influence kind of creeping in and kind of making the film supposed to be a, like the, the humor just didn't feel right. Like there's a scene uh, I can't talk about that too much. Uh, because spoilers but like there's a scene that feels like oh that makes sense for poe he would do something like that but then a similar scene happens with like finn or rose and it's like uh, that feels weird I, I don't know if that works but some issues like that so i think when i saw it originally i matched it with empire i think now i would have it a little maybe not a little but like below empire uh i again i need to see it again just to fully you know to be more definitive on my overall perspective about it but overall i mean just remember uh that it was a really emotional experience there's a one scene in particular if you know about the history about carrie fisher um passing away last year that made a particular scene very emotional for me and this i think maybe one of one of the few times i cried in a movie theater and, and it was just a fun time overall it, it, it was exciting it was thrilling it there was a scene in particular that took my breath away, quite literally. The entire audience was silent during the scene. We didn't know what to think of it. Um, for doing all those things, I think it absolutely deserves to be on the top 10 best of 2017. Number six is Get Out, a movie I saw in theaters twice. Saw it once with my brother. Love it. Loved it the first time. Love it even more. The sequence two times. It is a film that is absolutely dense with visual clues as to what's going to happen as to the twist that happens in the middle of the movie but it's also such a great um okay so there are elements about it that because it's a horror movie it has to have you know the jump scare like musical cues like the you know that kind of thing which is a little cheap but but it's kind of utilizing those um those tropes in order to tell a pretty satirical story about racial relations you know about how uh white people approach black people how they kind of see them. well i mean the, the whole point well, okay this is spoilers but the auction that happens is like a slavery auction quite well I mean, maybe that's pretty much what it is exactly well about this really fucked up family that's seeking out black people and trying to 
to make them more white. <laughs> but beyond that, um, that's an important element in and of itself, but it's also really funny, but it's also really terrifying. And there's one particular scene, I mean, the one that is in the posters, the, the lead actor, Daniel Kaluuya, sitting there and is crying. In context, it makes a lot more sense. And that is, even though with kind of the minimal approach to kind of take to it, it's just very much the performance between him and the mother character. It's fucking intense. And uh, as with a lot of the movies and video games this year, it reminded me of my own experiences with therapy and my own experience with my own family and about repressed memories. It's just a really tightly constructed film, and as Jordan Peele's directorial debut, it's fucking, it's an incredible debut, and I cannot wait to see what Jordan Peele does next. Number five is Sonic fucking Mania, bro! Oh my god, the best Sonic game ever made. Uh, if you are a fan of the classic Genesis Sonic games, the 2D side-scrollers, this is the best iteration of those games, bar none. And it was created by developers who they made on fan projects originally, and they were hired by Sega to develop the project. I think it was Pagoda West. Christian Whitehead, a third developer I don't remember off the top of my head, apologies. Um, it's just such a, such a thrilling throwback. Um, the art style is absolutely beautiful. It, they decided to go with the Sonic CD sprite art style. Um, not like taking it like 100%, but more like in terms of the palette, in terms of the color, the colors, the colors, the colors, children. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's a little joke for me. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful. And you just look at a trailer and just look at how gorgeous everything is. The, the details and the animations, sprite, and the animations of Sonic and Tails and Knuckles. It's just such so much fun. It's also pretty challenging in some ways, but it's appropriately challenging. And the Chaos Emeralds are back, and I mean they're always back. But like in this time, they have the special stages that have the polygonal models from the Saturn um, Sonic games, like I think from Sonic R, I think. Uh, it's, it's ah god, and the references to Sega games. So I should quickly mention the structure of the game. There's kind of a story, but it's really shallow. It doesn't really matter. What really matters is that there's eight levels from the original games, from Sonic 1, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, and Knuckles, and Sonic CD. But there's also four original levels by the developers, and those are the highlights of the game. Well, that and the music by T-Lopes, the fucking magnificent soundtrack that we may be doing a minisode on in the future. Ah, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um... But those levels are, like, they gave uh, a lot of, like, new mechanics and just throwing new ideas at the wall, like, seeing every idea that works. And, of course, there's a couple things, like, it feels like with the original levels, there's, like, elements that they kind of had to stay pretty much the same, so they couldn't really tweak too much about it. But then, like, the second act usually introduces new elements, and that's when the game really, really shines. It shows the promise that these developers have, and it makes me so fucking excited for Sonic Mania 2. It's gonna happen. This game has outsold forces. The other Sonic game that came out this year, outsold, I'm pretty sure outsold it by far across the board. So we will absolutely get a sequel and I cannot wait for it. I cannot wait to see what new ideas this team has. Uh, and it's so great to see Sonic get the respect that he really deserves. It's, it's a little vindicating. Like, oh no, we're not wrong. Sonic is a great character. He can potentially have really fun games. And given the 50 hours I put into this one, yes, absolutely deserves to be on the top five of the best of the year. Number four is The Big Sick, a movie that, again, I saw twice in theaters. 
Uh, and I have a little story about a special screen that I got to attend on episode 67. But no, the big sick is what for a long time was my number one of the year. Like as soon as I saw it, it's like, oh, this is everything I ever wanted in a movie. It's really dark in terms of the type of humor, but it's also very character-based. It's like a lot of moments between characters, like getting getting an understanding of characters. Um, feels like really moment to moment. Feels really authentic, and the humor feels right. It's Kumail Nanjiani and Zoe Kazan. They're fucking excellent in this movie. And even though yes, the story. I mean, okay, in terms of you know a film, like it's it's not visually interesting, I guess. But they just tell a really compelling story about, I think, a real-life account in Kumail's life about his wife, Emily V. Gordon. It's also kind of interesting about talking about interracial relationships, but also about what it, like, you know, like, we kind of see Kumail in the beginning of the movie, and he's kind of you know, a little bit of a slacker, and then he becomes a really mature, independent kind of adult as he has to go through this really difficult situation but it's super funny throughout and there's one joke no spoilers that made me laugh so hard that i think my head was hurting and it's the most i've laughed in a theater all year and, and, and anything that does that to me is like oh no you're absolutely being on the list but it's also just such a great movie overall great performances throughout ray fucking romano kicks ass in this movie does things i i, I don't know i I loved I loved him in Everybody Loves Raymond, but I've heard great things about him in Men of a Certain Age and shows like that, and and, and of course the Ice Age movies. But we see him in a new context, you know, kind of in the awkwardness kind of personality, but you know, represented in a different kind of way. Um, he, oh fuck, he kicks ass in this movie. He's excellent performances. Holly Hunter's great. Uh, the side characters are all great. Ah uh, oh, god, I I just love this movie so much. Absolutely worth your time. I mean, everything is worth your time, but this one in particular, absolutely. Yes, give it a watch. It's great. Number three is Coco, Pixar's latest and potentially greatest movie. Uh, might be too early to say that, but I had such a wonderful time watching Coco. I actually saw it with my with my brother. Uh, and we saw it in English, unfortunately. We wanted to see it in Spanish, but we just didn't get a chance. It wasn't showing in enough theaters, so we saw it in English. But no, it was such a wonderful, beautiful film. Uh, a boy named Miguel, a 10-year-old boy named Miguel um, in Mexico. He wants to play music, but his family, because of something that happened uh, in a different generation, uh, they have they have a hard stance against music, and they want him to be a shoemaker. Uh, but he, he, Miguel's trying to do everything he can to want to perform like in a talent show, I think. But shenanigans happen, and eventually he actually ends up in the land of the dead. Which is probably shown in the most beautiful way I've ever seen. But of course, like you with a Pixar film, they have to kind of the dark elements, but kind of peppered in with a little bit of like whimsy and magicalness. Um, <laughs> but there's so many also interesting things about classicism in this film, about the structure of a hierarchy, a class hierarchy of you know the without saying too much the remembered people that they live in like really beautiful houses and the people who are not remembered or the people that because they don't have a family to remember them then they actually and this is really dark uh they're actually forgotten about and they have to live in little shacks and huts there's also something about immigration about how the way you actually go into the the, the land of the land of the dead or to go from the land of the dead to the land of the living you actually have to go through customs um and uh, it's not like hitting over your head with it. It's like, it's not something that's emphasized. Like it's part of the plot line, but those like 
darker elements, especially one particular dark thing that happens in the movie without spoiling too much, which is maybe one of the darkest things I've ever seen in the Pixar film. It just it takes so many chances, but it's also just a wonderful story about Miguel and trying to eventually accept his family. But in that same way, you know, since the movie is about family, and of course it's a Pixar film, so it made me cry. It's a bit of a cruel joke to people that have dysfunctional families, and you want to think that, you know, it's great in the movie that he eventually, because it's a Pixar film, so you can predict this, that he does eventually accept his family. But, you know, the film kind of <laughs> has this message about, you know, accepting your family for who they are, but... It's hard for me to say that as someone who's talked about his own family in the past. Like I said, like I said, it feels like a cruel joke to families like that, and it's like, eh. That kind of, they made the film even more painful than it would have been normally. But beyond all that, it's beautifully animated, and of course, one of the songs, the song "Remember Me," which I think was nominated for a Golden Globe. Ah, wonderful song, wonderful performances, ah, and a couple of those like sneaky adult jokes, you know, because of the, you know, the because sometimes they'd say words in Spanish. Ah, it was just a little, made that little extra tasty little, ah, I got that one, nice. Um, made the film just so much, it was a wonderful experience, really endearing, and yeah, it, it is, for the sake of this list, it is definitely my number one film of the year, but not quite my number one pop culture thing of the year. Number two is Breath of the Wild, and uh, I mean... How could it not be? It's a new Zelda game. It rebuilt the formula rather than, you know, having the dungeons you need to go to. And there are dungeons, but the emphasis is on exploring the world, doing whatever you want in the world, like cooking, finding your own equipment, like finding your own ways of traversing the world because everything is up to you. Like, as soon as you've gotten past the tutorial, even though it is a tutorial, it is, it's, it's kind of fun and kind of interesting. Once you pass that, then the world is your oyster. If you want to go defeat the final boss, if you think you got the hotspot, go for it. Even if you only have three hearts and you have a couple brooms or anything like that, you can go face the final boss. It is all up to you. But I've spent so many hours playing this game. I have a two-parter on the podcast about this game. I talked about the whole Zelda series as a whole with uh, Zach from the DigiWatts, uh, episode 61 and 62. So you'll have more of my concrete thoughts of the game there. But it's just like, you know, it's high, it's a high mark for Nintendo. Just an incredible technical feat that even though we already have games, you know, like Horizon Zero Dawn and like games that can just like display a whole world, but there's still so many amount of limitations in this game. It feels like the, there is no limitations and you can see everything ahead of you, that everything that you can see beyond you. It's, it's, it's a stunning accomplishment and it, I'm so happy it won Game of the Year at the Game Awards. As a Zelda game, it is on a level all its own. Uh, it's also an open world game, so even if you don't quite like open world games, try this one out. There isn't really a demo for it. Like maybe like say a friend has a copy and you can borrow it. Try it out that way, but for the amount of time I put into it, 105 hours now, and I'm still not even done with it. That's the amazing thing. I put in that much time, still not done with it. But, and this is actually the thing I should, weird to mention now, but the port of Master of the Switch has made playing a, game, a few of the games that I mentioned before even better than it would normally be. And like with Zelda, I, I just want to do a couple dungeons, find a couple shrines, take a couple hours, sit on my bed, play it for a little bit. It's, it's, ah, it's so wonderful. It's 
it makes me wish everything could be played on Switch. I know that's impossible, and the Switch has their, its own technical limitations, but goddammit, everything needs to be on Switch! I want to play everything on Switch! Ah, but either way, though, Zelda is high quality. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing game. Uh, play it if you have a Switch, or if you have a Wii U. Um, and it's, it's just wonderful. My number one pop culture thing of 2017 is... Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, it couldn't be anything else. In a fucking year with a new Zelda, a new Sonic game. Two Sonic games. But, uh, forces. Maybe we'll talk about that in the future. Mario. It has to be Mario. I grew up on platformers. Platformers. I, I have so much fun playing platformers. They're the one genre that I can always jump back into no matter what. And I always have a great time. And Nintendo created maybe one of the best platformers in a very, very long time. Now, actually, for those who don't know, Mario Odyssey is a new open-world Mario game. And that means that you kind of... There's like a big, giant, spacious area. And you can play around with it. You got you got your set amount of movesets. You can jump around and do whatever you want in the world. But there's also these moons you collect. And the moons are the ultimate objective of the game. Um, but... You can beat the game as fast as you want to. You want to beat it in five hours? If you're that good, go for it. Get the moons that meant like kind of get you into the next story point. Jump to the next story level, uh, world, I should say. Uh, kingdom, whatever. Kingdom, world, planet, country. It's all the same shit. It's not a planet. Uh, do that. Beat the game as fast as you can. Collect every moon if you want to. If you want to collect every moon, you can conceivably collect in the kingdom. Collect all of them, then move on to the next. The world is always so you can do whatever you want within limitations, of course. Because I should be mentioning that you might not be able to get every single moon in the kingdom until you after you've beaten the kingdom or like the original story requirements. So keep that in mind. But if you just want to fuck around in the kingdom, just do whatever you want. Do some platforming challenges, which are some of the best platforming challenges that remind me a lot of the structure of, of Sunshine. God damn it. This game, it just makes me so fucking happy. And of course, Jump Up Superstar is one of the best video game theme songs of the year. Uh, there's a lot of moments in this game which I, god damn it, I will not spoil because they feel so satisfying to you if you've been a Mario fan. If you've been grown, if you've grown up alongside Mario for like the past 30 years, there's some moments in this game which will may make you cry from just what a glorious. Uh, this, I, I don't want to say too much, god damn it, I don't want to say too much. Um, though of course there's some kingdoms that have already been spoiled on Twitter potentially, but no, no, no I'm gonna keep some things a secret because when you get to them, my god. I, what never never would I have imagined that I would actually have be, become breathless in a Mario game and you know because Mario games are meant to be fun exhilarating you know like fun time but like moments that just, me and my brother were playing it and we just like what the fuck um, so no we're not going beyond that absolutely experience this game for yourself god damn it uh, as a person who loves platformers I happily for the most part, I should mention the post-game, and by that I mean everything after you've beaten the story. There are a couple moons that are a bit dickish. There's, of course, the infamous jump rope moon where you have to jump, play jump rope, and jump a hundred times. There's the one where you have to be a volleyball lobby, the volleyball back a hundred times. So some moons like that are kind of shitty, but I, you will have so much fun actually going and collecting all 999 moons. I did that. Uh, I should post it on Instagram. And it, it, it was so much fun from beginning to end. And I, I, I have two, 
three accounts on my Switch. I used up two of those accounts just to play through the story again. That's how much I love this game. It, it couldn't be anything else. Super Mario Odyssey, undoubtedly, is my number one pop culture thing of 2017. So, that was my list of the best pop culture things of 2017 thank you so much for listening yes i never did a best of 2016 i just never did it timing wise i think there were just so many um full regular episodes that i had to post i just eventually it just kind of got lost in the blah blah and oh well I, I, it never happened um but no we made up for it this year uh <laughs> but um thank you so much for listening uh i know you if you don't agree with my choices please be disciplined about it in the comments or on twitter no one's we're never gonna agree on anything but you know i would like to see what everyone else kind of thought was their definitive like not in terms of just movies and video games and television shows which I, god damn it i listened to laser times best of 2017 tv list and god damn it i really wish i jumped into twin peaks the return uh i missed out on that but what your favorite pop culture things were of the uh, uh of last year and let me know what they are um i mean i'll just probably just reply to you on twitter the way that the show's format is i won't get to reply to it here so sorry about that but i would like to know um or email me at ranch at podcast at gmail.com and and let me know what some of your favorite things were uh but yeah thanks for listening and we'll see you next time